Tycoons of Small Biz, a podcast where small business owners are celebrated as the backbone of the American economy. Each week, we introduce you to tycoons who share their stories and advice so that small business owners may learn from their experiences. Tycoons is powered by Backbone Planning Partners. Join us now as our hosts connect you to today's tycoons. Good afternoon, tycoons, and welcome to today's episode of Tycoons of Small Biz. I'm your host here, as always, Austin Peterson, coming to you from Gilbert, Arizona. And today's guest, Jonathan Wethington, is coming to us from Wilmington, North Carolina. He's the CEO of Shuck and Shack Oyster Bar. Jonathan, welcome to the show. Hey, Austin, thanks for having me. And as soon as I said that, I, I questioned, is it Weathington or Weathington? I can't remember. You nailed it, man. First time. That's uh, that's fairly unusual. A lot of people like to add the ER like I'm a, the weatherman, but uh, <laughs> no, you nailed it. Gotcha. Well, yeah, as soon as it came out of my mouth, I thought, oh, crap, was that the right way or not? I couldn't, I couldn't remember for sure. So. <laughs> we didn't rehearse that portion. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, um, Jonathan, excited to have you on the show. Before we jump into kind of the business side of things and what you guys are doing at the Shuck and Shack, which I think is amazing. We've, I think it, I told you during pre-qualification, we've wanted somebody from food services on for a while. Um, just because food services was was uniquely um, affected with COVID and had to pivot probably more than than most, and so I, I'm I'm really looking forward to kind of digging into that. But tell us about you personally. Tell us your history a little bit, and then we'll jump into Shuck and Shack and what you guys are doing. Sure. So so I guess personal personal and professional at this point it's kind of hard for me to separate those two things. I think especially in a position like this and a fun brand like we have those those things are, are almost synergistic. Um, I cannot tease one from the other. It takes over virtually every part of my life, um, which is a good thing. I have no complaints over that. But I, um, I've always been in customer service. Um, I kind of grew up in the customer service industry on the retail side and then uh, switched over to bars for a little bit. Uh, but then after I finished my uh, master's degree, I went into banking and, and tried to venture away, I guess, if you will, from frontline customer service and that side and realized that's not really what I wanted to do. And um, so I joined Shuck and Shack. I knew the guys when they started the concept in 2007. I was actually working two doors down, one of the founders on another business, and I was managing that business for him. And I uh, saw this little restaurant being built and, and I liked it. And, and really, I, I'm, I'm a fan that became the CEO of the company. Uh, cer- certainly didn't happen overnight. Um, I didn't. I never anticipated myself sitting in this seat. That's for certain. Um, I, I just kind of grew up and and grew to love Shuck and Shack a lot. And so for me, it was never about. Um, I don't know. You know, some people are, are about the title or about the money or about you know the recognition or whatever it may be. For me, it was just an opportunity to do what I love, which is being the customer service sector. And in this case, it's in restaurants. And so that's a big part of my identity. Yeah, for sure. No, I think that's I think that's awesome. I think, you know, having a passion for what you're doing, regardless of what that is, I think is, you know, it, it's not the end all be all. I think some people try to oversell that, but I think that it 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 definitely is important. You have to truly believe in what it is that you're doing to get up every day and go and and do it. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, for me, I think you nailed it. Um, it's something I'm very passionate about because at the, in many forms, customer service, retail, restaurant, and whatever form you want to take, 
in, in basically a business where you're dealing with the day-to-day -day general whims of the, of the public, right? Um, you either love it or you hate it. And I loved it from day one. Um, and I've been passionate about it from day one. Yes, did my mom and dad want me to go get a job at 15 so they wouldn't have to pay for my auto insurance and gas money and all of those things? Yes, of course. Um, and that's really what kicked me into it. But I realized it was something even from early on that I, I just loved it. I love making people happy. And, and I, I wouldn't necessarily call myself a people pleaser by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but I love that transactional relationship initially that builds into long-term customer loyalty. And I'm not talking about apps and, you know, whatever, rewards programs and email chains and happy birthday text messages and opt-ins and opt-outs and all that BS. I'm talking about true customer loyalty where a person has no question in their mind that they're going to visit you again the second they walk in the door. That's what we're after. Yeah. And I, I think that's the difference, right? I mean, you guys are in the, the full service restaurant segment, which is, you know, <laughs> was definitely hard hit the most during, during COVID. And so we'll kind of jump into that. But I find it fascinating that you went from, you know, banking to restaurants. <laughs> we, we, we did a prequal call. It actually might be a, a company that you know, but we did a prequal call for somebody that's going to be on the show in a few months here. Uh, yesterday, I think it was for Old Mecklenburg Brewing Company. Have you heard of them? I, I've heard of them, but I don't know anyone over there. Yep. Okay. Um, and well, anyhow, their their COO, who's going to be on the show, um, he used to be a he worked he used to work for Moody's. He raided bonds, and, and now <laughs> you know now he's running this brewery. And I'm thinking, you know, banking to restaurant bonds to, to brewery. I mean, it's crazy to see. Um, you know, the, the journeys that people take, but I think that there are so many, you know, business is business. It doesn't matter what kind of business sure. you're in. You got to run it efficiently. You got to provide good service. You got to provide a good product, whatever the case may be. Um, but I think we're seeing more and more of these, these people like you um, who go and get a master's degree, who have this, you know, quote unquote pedigree to work on wall street <laughs> or to work in banking, whatever, but they just don't, they just don't like it. Like that's not what they want to do. And so they use those skills and that education in a different way to, to maybe even more professionalize this type of a business that isn't typically run by somebody who has an MBA or a master's degree of any sort. Exactly. I think that's probably an extremely accurate portrayal on my part. I've been fortunate enough and, and maybe bullheaded or stubborn enough, whatever you want to call it throughout my career, even as a teenager and, and early in my you know early 20s and, and going through grad school and working the whole time and then coming out of grad school that, I, damn it, I was just always going to do what I wanted to do and I wasn't going to compromise on it. And, you know, as sometimes the pay wasn't there. Right. Um, I was in an hourly job when many of my former colleagues were salaried working for the government or working in these big jobs with full benefits and all these all this stuff. I just simply didn't care about it. I didn't have any desire to do something that I didn't like doing. And for me, I felt like a big part of that was because I always felt like I was a person um, I wanted to lead. I wanted to work with others and help them, un, you know, kind of discover their untapped potential, if you will. And that sounds kind of cliche, but it's the truth. I like working with other people. I like finding strength in others and fi figuring out how to maximize those people. And then on top of that, I just wanted to do something that was fun. Um, life's too short. Uh, you know, I've seen too many people, even colleagues, even peers, get into industries that they went to school for, 
you know, they have this, as you, as you coined it, pedigree, where they're supposed to do uh, banking or, or computers or, or whatever it may be. And they get into it and they're three years deep and all they can talk about is what they're doing on the weekend. Um, I had no interest in that, zero interest in that. And so I wanted to do something that I could find fulfilling every single day. And that's what I've done. Yeah. So not not to derail the conversation, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on education in general, right? I mean, I think that our our <laughs> I think our country leads everybody to college, right? And sure. I'm not discounting the importance of certain things that are learned in college, both in the classroom and outside of the classroom, right? Because I've got a son that's going to graduate from Arizona State in in May, so. I believe in education for the right reasons and for the right people, but I feel like our country specifically over the last 15, 20 years has, has made everybody feel like they have to go to college and that's the only way to find success in our country. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on that. I don't think it's the only path to success. I don't have that, um, that thought process at all. I was a person that needed education. I was the person that needed that. Um, for me, I needed that structure in my life. I, quite frankly, a part of it, I needed to do it to prove to myself I could do it. Um, that was a big part of it. And I think for many people, they need that structure, especially coming out of high school and, and however you grew up or, or whatever, going to college, you know, when I was coming out of high school, it was, well, that's just what you're going to do, right? Um, you got, I got good grades in high school. I was an excellent student. And so for me, there was never even a thought of doing anything but going to a four-year university. And that was just, it was like, you know, the first semester of your senior year rolls around and it's not even a question of, are you going to go get a job or are you going to go to college? It's a question of which colleges have you applied to and what is your SAT score and blah, 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 blah. So, so, you know, kind of fast forward, I think of education as, as a journey for some people. I don't think it's for everyone. Um, my dad, for instance, he was very successful in the private and public sector. Um, but he used to always tell me, he's like, the only A's I ever got were in PE and in lunch. And he had a two-year associate's degree and, uh, you know, didn't do well in school. But he had all the soft skills necessary to be excellent at his job and the career path that he chose. And so I think education is a great opportunity for many people to teach hard skills, or at least basic hard skills that lead that lead into foundational things for, you know, the private sector, whether it's executive management or accounting. You know, I want my doctor to have gone to school. OK, and that's that's <laughs> you know, that's just me. But I want my my physician to have gone to school. Um, but in like in, in my case, for instance, my degree isn't anywhere remotely related to hospitality. And I, however, I did have the soft skills and I developed the hard skills over time. So I don't think it's for everyone. I think it's overblown. Um, I think, you know, you at times, many of my former classmates and colleagues have felt uh, held ransom over um, student loans and all of those things. So we won't talk about that. But, um, you know, there's a lot of factors at stake and there's a lot of pressure, whether it's internal or external, pre external pressure. Yeah. Yeah, it's a couple of things that that come to mind when when you talk through that. For you know, it makes me think of my dad. Uh, he just he passed away in August, actually. Pancreatic cancer took him really quick, and and it was just it was just way too soon. But you know, your dad sounds similar to my dad. My, so my dad actually just had a GED, no degree at all. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, built a company, took care of his family, did, you know, wasn't wildly successful financially, but he raised a good family and, and people yeah. knew that he cared about them and, and he was just a good, good person. But what, what makes me chuckle a little bit is, you, you know, you talked about your dad, the only A I got was in PE and lunch, right? I feel like certain dads just have those things that they just kind of, you know, throw out all the time. And yeah. and my dad's was son, my credit's so bad. I've got to show two forms of ID to pay cash. <laughs> you know, right. it was right. like it, it just makes me chuckle. Sounds like you know your dad and my dad are, are kindred spirits. Yeah, it's and- crazy that you say that. My dad passed in 2020 of pancreatic cancer in August. Um, oh, so wow. yeah, that's a pretty small world on on that front. But yeah, he yeah. was you know practical guy had the soft skills to push him through, even if the hard skills he had to develop over time. But yeah, you know, I, I think going back to education and, and, and your, you know, anecdotal evidence to that is, is just that it's like, it's not one path for everyone. We've been, we've been um, maybe taught too long that there's this assimilative process that has to happen with every single person that attends high school and graduates. And that's just simply not the case. That is simply not the case. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, and the other thing that I thought of, I, I don't remember how you how you said it, but something to the effect of, you know, being held captive after you graduate because you got student loans and you got all this, you know, kind of stuff that you spent the time, you spent the money, you spent the effort, all that to to get that degree. And, and you're either, you know, you're miserable or you're not working in your area of expertise or education anyhow. And so that, you know, that makes me think of my son graduating and, you know, <laughs> he listens to this show from time to time. So maybe sure. he'll hear this, but I, but I kind of wonder, like, does he realize how lucky he is to be graduating with no student debt, right? Like I'm a financial planner. So if I hadn't planned for his college education, shame <laughs> on me. Shame on you, right? And he did some work along the way too, because he got some scholarships that helped as well. But, you know, we kind of offset that with, helping with cars and different things like that instead, because he had earned those scholarships. And so there was, you know, incentive built in, but I still don't know if he realizes how blessed he is <laughs> to be graduating fully debt-free. Uh, Cause that's just not the case for most people. It's not. And many people are kind of, you know, you talk about um, equality versus equity, right? Many people don't start out from the same starting position and, and, you know, for me, I was very fortunate. My parents paid for my undergrad. I paid for my own grad school through student loans. But I came up as soon as I got out. When I left grad school, I had a four-year plan to pay every single dime back. And in month 47, I wrote my last check. Uh, and I did it because that was just something I wanted to chip away at immediately. You're talking about, you know, 7.5% loan. It was about 40 grand worth of loans, a little bit more, which is way less than many people come out with. And so I said, yes. hey, if I'm going to beat this principal on this thing, this is how I'm going to do it in 48 months. And in month 47, I wrote the last check. But that, you know, again, it goes back to put being intentional with what you do. And and I was I was bound and determined to do something I loved. Um, and sometimes that meant sacrificing personal, other personal financial decisions or business financial decisions or whatever else, because I, I prioritize things the way they needed to be prioritized. Yeah, for sure. All right. So let's jump into the shuck and shack side of things. So you guys are a full service restaurant. You have kind of a, a cool concept. So let's start there. Tell us what the concept is, kind of where you guys stand today and, and what the view is for the next five to 10 years. 
Sure. So my my 10 second elevator pitch, I don't even need a full minute. It's that if you like cold beer and you like fresh seafood, you're going to like it's just fine. If you don't like either of those things, or at least one of those things, then what planet are you living on? No, it's 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 uh it's not quite that 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 bone dry, but it is it is. It's cold beer. It's fresh seafood. We try to create an authentic coastal experience, meaning for our servers, bartenders, every single person on our staff, including our managers. We don't have spiels when you walk into the restaurant. It's unlikely that you would ever hear "Welcome to a Shuck, Welcome to the Shuck and Shack." I wouldn't invite you into my house and say. Austin, welcome to the Wethington household. Would you like to sit on the couch or would you like to sit at the chair? Or how about the dinner table? Like, come in, sit down. I'll be with you in a second. What, what do you like to drink? That's kind of the experience that we're after. We want every single location to feel like it's the only one on earth that exists. We have we have no desire, um, quite, quite frankly, very much altruistically, we have no desire to create another concept that feels like oh, that's just another concept in Phoenix, or oh, that's just another concept and here's a location in Austin or wherever it may be. So we create this authentic coastal experiences, the authentic coastal experience that really focuses around our people. We're going to deliver you great seafood. You're going to have great cocktails and cold beer and all of those things along with a full service bar, but really it's all about the people. That's how we've grown. That's how we'll continue to grow. Um, it's because when when you and, and your spouse and your son or your kids walk into our one of our locations, we want you to feel welcome and we want you to decide that you're going to come back before you leave. That's what we're after. Gotcha. So how many locations are open now? Where did it start? And then are those locations corporate owned or franchised or both? Sure. So we have 19 locations. Two of them are company owned locations. The rest are all franchise we started in 2007 in a 900 square foot location, which is basically a, a storage closet in Carolina Beach, North Carolina. Um, th- uh, total occupancy of that store is 32 seats. Um, now we build them a little bit bigger now, uh, just because the economics makes sense to build them a little bit larger. But we still try to keep that um, that small, you know, kind of uh, intimate feel, if you will, to create that authentic moment of thinking this is this is the only one on the planet that exists. And I really like this place. Cool. All right. So you guys are growing by leaps and bounds. The full service restaurant industry is not. So, I mean, basically over the last decade, my understanding is the full service restaurant industry is flat. Now, COVID probably pays plays a portion of that, right? Sure. But Overall, as a decade, so that was three years of 10, there should still be some growth, presumably, because full service restaurants still did pivot, right? They did delivery, Mm -hmm. they did, you know, all those other things to kind of the initial close down, close doors, figure out a way, still get your food out there and still make money. So, you know, what, what are you guys doing differently that makes you guys on this type of a growth trajectory as opposed to flat like most full service restaurants? Yeah, I, I think one of the things that we're doing as a part of our training, as a part of even even rewinding way back before we even open the doors, in fact, before we sign a lease, before we build a restaurant, when we're talking about our franchisees or franchise partners, when we're bringing them into our system, we're having conversations with them around, hey, can you carry on a conversation with someone? Do you do you consider yourself a person that is a good conversationalist? Can you do this, Right. And if you can, then you're, you could probably be a good restaurant owner. 
do you have the soft skills necessary to build your business? Meaning, is the first thought when you walk in in the morning, oh, the temperature in the restaurant is not correct? You know, uh, they the, the clothes last night was awful. Or is your first thought, hey, what can I do today to build my business? What can I do to get involved in the community? How can I call someone or how can I get in touch with someone or how can I make a social media post to bring more people in? Because I really and truly want to meet them and I want them to be in love with my product and come back. So we have taken a human first approach. There is a lot of, and don't get me wrong, there are a ton of brands out there that have done a fantastic job of taking a digital first approach. I get messages on LinkedIn all the time. We're so we're so impressed by your digital first approach. And my response is always, we don't have a digital first approach. We have a human <laughs> first approach. Um, you know, for us, it's it's very much a human first approach. And I think that's what has built our customer base is that people come to us and it's almost like rewinding time, not in the sense that we're taking credit cards and we use the carbon copy slider machine or we're doing cash only or, you know, the bathrooms are poorly lit or, or whatever it may be. But we are rewinding time and taking all the stuff that that holds you back from having a great experience within the restaurant and we're not you we're not doing those things we're making it as simple as possible which you know great food excellent service it never goes out of style it's always a hot sector it's always a hot segment of our industry and if you can deliver on those two things you'll people will come back and they'll tell their friends which is the most important thing we've we've compl- as an industry i'll keep on my diatribe for a second as an industry we have we have complicated it. We've tried to assign quantitative values to almost everything qualitatively. We do it like consistently because we want to track data. And I understand that. I'm an empiricist at heart. I love Excel spreadsheets and pivot tables more than anyone else I know. However, at the heart of it all in hospitality, what matters is people and how you make them feel. And if you make them feel good based upon what's on their plate, what's what they're, what's in their glass, or the interactions that they have, they will come back. They will come back. And that's what we've doubled down on. And that's what we've been really successful at. Yeah. So that's all, everything that you just described, it hits home. It makes a hundred percent sense, but how are you successfully translating that to franchise locations? Right. Cause that's it's the, the toughest thing. thing we do. It's like, it's far and away the toughest thing we do because a lot of it, especially if we bring in franchisees who have other food service experience, whether it's full service or quick service, or or maybe they were a GM with another brand. You know, we love people like that because they get the general hard skill things of being a general manager. Maybe they've never owned their location before, uh, but they come into our system. They have a great understanding of the nuts and bolts of a restaurant. But the hardest thing we do for incoming franchisees is say, hey, there is not a systematic approach for you being a human being. Okay. Like you don't have to, you don't have to put aside your personality in this. Okay. We're not asking you uh, to cover up your tattoos. We're not asking you, we're not telling you that your hair has to be, you know, in a tight bun of great appearance. We're not saying that you have to wear a logoed uh, polo or a logoed baseball cap. We're not asking you to do all of those things. We're asking you to interact well with other human beings. And that is a really, really, really tough thing to do. It's even tougher whenever that impartation of knowledge as a part of our training process extends beyond me, extends beyond my team here. 
And then it goes to the second. So the second level level being the franchisee, right? So if we're the first level, that's the second level. Then the third level is the frontline employee in that location that may be coming to us from, you know, another brand, right? Another nationally known brand where everything is bullet pointed. You have 12 steps of customer service. And then if the customer says this, or they don't like this, here are the three things that you do. And if those three things that you don't, don't work, here are the six things that you do. And if one of those six things don't work, then you go to the manager. We're cutting all of that out. And we're saying, if you were sitting in their seat and you are a person receiving the news that you just gave to them, how would you feel? And what would you do? Now make that decision. And whatever you decide to do, we'll support you on it. And that is really, really, really hard to do. It is a convincing game of saying you, you, um, you actually don't have to tell people about the specials in our restaurant because they don't care. If they want to know the specials, they'll ask you. You actually don't have to upsell anything on the menu uh, because they don't care. Um, if someone drinks vodka cranberry, they know exactly what vodka they want in it. You don't have to upsell them. You don't have to talk about the weekly specials or the daily specials. They're right there on the chalkboard. And 90 plus percent of the people in this restaurant can read right now. So they can see it and we make it very visible. You don't have to go through all of those things. We just want you to be a human. That's it. Tell a joke. Have fun. Compliment someone. If it's real, if you like their shoes, compliment their shoes. If you don't like their shoes, don't compliment their shoes. Like have these human interactions and learn to read the table. And I say it all the time. If there's a group of five ladies and they're dressed to the nines and it is a Friday night and there are, there are no spouses attached to their arms, right? And they come in by themselves and they're all at a, at a high top bar table next to the bar. I am not going to tell them about our grilled fish special. I am going to ask them what cocktails they would like to drink. I am reading the table. And so we're trying to convince our frontline employees, especially bartenders and servers, to do, to do exactly that. So I guess, how are you doing that? And I'll, and I'll kind of follow that up with, um, this is a, a generalization, so it's definitely not the case across the board, but the, the typical server in a restaurant is going to be 21 to 28 years old, right? And they've, they've all grown up in the digital age. They use their phones more than they interact with people face-to-face. -face. So how are you hiring people, first of all, to know that they can actually have these face-to-face -face conversations and engage with people to do this? And then the second part of that question is, how are you then making sure that they do it the way that you guys want to do it, as opposed to the way that if they were servers before, they were trained to do it before? Yeah, the first the first question being, how are we hiring people? You know, obviously we don't hire for our franchise locations, but the the feedback that we give our franchisees and some of the things that we coach on is hire for personality. That's kind of what we're after. Like we can teach you the hard skills, we can kind of teach you the shuck and shack way. Uh, we can teach you all of those things that we feel make a great brand and make a great server or bartender or kitchen staff member. But hire for personality. If it's if, if it's a talkative person that is just fun to be around, I have those people in my life. I'm sure you have those people in your life. Like they can be talking about absolutely nothing, and you will laugh because they're just like just the energy and the spirit that they carry around them. They could talk about you know peanut butter, like, and it's funny. Everything they say is funny. Everything they do is funny. That's who I want to be a bartender or server because they're just fun to be around. They carry a different air about them. 
Um, the energy is there. And who cares if they haven't, you know, if they don't know every oyster variety in the United States? Who cares if they don't know the difference in yellowfin or bluefin? We can teach all of that. What we can't teach is what they bring from a soft skills perspective. And so that's kind of some of the coaching that we're going through with our franchisees. Um, and then and then beyond that, how do we how do we assure basically that they're doing what we want them to do versus what they want to do is that we're doing, I mean, frankly, when it comes to, you know, the cadence of training and some of the mechanical things of training, we're doing a lot of scenario stuff. And so we're putting people in in situations where, hey, just like the the, you know, the the scenario I gave you earlier, there's five ladies, they're sitting at a high top near the bar on a Friday night. They don't have a spouse on their arm. We're talking about those exact same, those exact things. Give me your opener. What are you going to, what are you going to say, Austin, to that group of ladies? If they're sitting at a high top near the bar, there's five of them. There's no spouse on their arm. They're dressed at the night. What's your opening line? And then we're going from there because the opening line shouldn't be welcome to shuck and check. No, you don't have to do that. They know where they are. They saw the sign when they walked in, they planned their visit ahead of time. So it's, it's at times it feels like pulling teeth if I'm being totally honest with you, because sometimes we're breaking habits of people, which is the hardest thing to do. Uh, but it's the, the payoff is the aha moment for a lot of our frontline employees when they're like, holy smokes, I actually don't have to go through 25 bullet points and be fearful of a mystery shopper being here. And I didn't tell them about our Tuesday afternoon, 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. special. They don't give a shit about it. Sorry. They don't, they don't give, they don't care about it, right? What they care about is did they enjoy the food? Did they love the service? And are they going to come back? That's all that matters. Yeah. So logistically, how are you doing that? Is that being done in person during the interview process and training? Do you guys have videos that you're using for training? What does that look like? All, all of the above. So we have, you know, we have virtual training with a kind of a our, our learning management system, which is essentially a video vault of training videos. Uh, a lot of our training is anecdotal. Um, I still participate in most of our trainings and I talk to people about, I, I'm asking very, very pointed questions to our servers and bartenders and kitchen staff. When I go in for a training, I, I ask people, give me an example of a time in a restaurant where you felt like the food was good, but that you will not return because the service was so bad. Let's talk about that. I want you to talk about it from the time you stepped in the door to the time you walked out. And then what we do is that over time, these stories start coming out because when one person tells the story, the next person said, yeah, I went there and had the exact same experience. And then the next person sitting next to them said, well, I went there and I had a similar experience, but the food wasn't any good. So I don't know that I'll ever be back anyway. So we're, we're trying to create this almost like this, like, I don't know, cognitive association with uh, like a dining experience, right? And saying, okay, if you can keep that in mind when you're talking to your tables or you're talking to your bar guest, eventually it'll become second nature. What would you have done differently? Now we're giving you the opportunity to do all of that differently because you can make of it what you want because we're not asking you to check boxes. That's simply not necessary because people now are too smart. They're too connected, regardless of whether educationally smart or not. They're too street smart. They're too socially smart. They have unlimited access to everything about everyone. They can see through BS, right? They can, they can see through it. And when you're disingenuine and when you're inauthentic, people will see right through it. So go be yourself. And everything's going to be all right. And that's, I mean, it sounds really boilerplate. Um, 
And at times it's very difficult, but like I said, the payoff is amazing. When it works, there's nothing like it because you can, the energy in a dining room is palpable and you know, it's not fake energy, which is even crazier. Um, and, it, and it makes it way more fun too. Yeah. Well, I think, I think that there's some important information here for anybody who's listening, whether you own or are involved in a franchise system or not, just think about anybody who's, who's listening, owns a, a location of whatever, an accounting firm in Phoenix, Arizona, and they want to buy or open a new accounting firm in Austin, Texas, right? How do they convey what they do in Phoenix that they feel runs perfectly to the people in Austin, Texas, right? And it and it's what I'm hearing is obviously use technology as best you can, right? I mean, using learning management systems and videos and all that kind of stuff, but you got to use them the right way. And I and I think what we've learned over the years is that everybody learns better with a story. And the and Absolutely. everything. Yeah, everything you just explained to me was about telling a story or setting a stage for people to then say, how do we handle this, right? And to be authentic to themselves, I, I think is it's better than here's how we handle a tax return or here's how we, you know, whatever. We 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 send out this on this date and we follow up with them on this date. And we have them come into the office. Like all that's important, but that's just the process for that company. That's right. That's right. Yeah. How do we get our people to act the way that we want them to act to differentiate ourselves from every other accounting firm out there or in your instance or in your situation, restaurant? Yeah. And it's like I tell, it's the same scenario when you're choosing where to dine out. It's the same scenario when I interview people for positions within our office or whenever I've coached people on how to interview my exact message to people is if you're sitting in this seat, I have no doubt that you can do the job. In fact, you may be able to do the job better than the person that gets the job if you're not that person. However, what we're looking for right now is the right cultural fit within our four walls. That's what we're after. It's the same as, as buying a car, right? For, for the most part, cars are, are you know, you, the gas is on the right, the brake is on the left. There's usually a shifter um, if it's an automatic with park reverse neutral drive and maybe, and maybe a low gear. They all get you there beyond those basic criteria met, which would be the hard skills in our play, in our case. What you're looking at is, do you like the color of the car? How do the seats feel? Um, does it handle well? That's what we're after. So we're looking for the fit. We're not necessarily looking like, like I said, for, for the hard skills, because when people apply for the, for a job, me as, you know, like every uh, grad in 2007, 2008 ish, I applied for hundreds of jobs and uh, I was grouped in or thousands. And I was grouped in with a thousand or 10,000 other candidates. And quite frankly, we could have all done that job. 90 plus percent of us could have done that job. But the second level to that is, are you the right cultural fit for what's going on within the business? And it fit, and it's the exact same thing in your scenario. How do you translate an accounting firm in Phoenix to an accounting firm in Tucson or Austin or Dallas or wherever, wherever it is? You've got to tell stories and you've got to figure out how you can make that a part of the cultural fit for the area that you're targeting. That's what you have to do. And, and there's certainly a technology piece in play. There's a market demand piece in play. But assuming all those things have been met, 
we're looking at the qualitative aspects of things. We're not always looking at the quantitative things. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think the biggest thing that I take away from that is, you know, you want them to be themselves, whatever that looks like. There, there are lots of different versions of good personalities, fun personalities, you know, whatever, whatever that looks like, because, you know, I, I may be in some circles, I may be considered a fun person who can talk to anybody mm -hmm. about sports and business and, you know, whatever. And I might be a right fit in a certain part, part of that, but I shouldn't be the one who walks up to the table of the ladies that you gave, you know, the, the uh, situation earlier that are addressed to the nines, whatever. Like, I wouldn't be the guy who would walk up and say, Hey y'all, what are we drinking tonight? We got something, <laughs> you know, real important going on. That, that's not me. Right. right? Sure. So why should I sure. fake that when that is somebody else? And that's a fun personality for somebody else. That's not my personality. Right. Absolutely. And, and there's multiple ways to, to approach every single situation like that. Um, I am a dry humor joke teller. So in that, in that scenario, I would come up to the table and say, I'm guessing y'all don't want to hear about our fish specials. And that would be it. It would be completely deadpan, completely stone faced. And my, I mean, I would hope cross my fingers and toes, I would get a laugh out of it. And that's my end. That's it. Right. But not everybody can do that. And just in your exact same scenario, I'm not the person that's going to say, what are we drinking, gals? Like, that's just not me. But <laughs> I can figure out something within me to unlock that lock. Yeah. Yeah. You and I are similar in that. I'm, I'm My jokes are so dry sometimes that people think that I don't, <laughs> you know, right. laugh at anything or I don't smile right. unless I'm telling a joke or laughing or whatever. But yeah, I, I would walk up and say something like, Oh, looks like you guys are going to the baseball game tonight, huh? Like they're dressing <laughs> right. cocktail dresses, you know, but right, sure, you know, something like that. But that that does it fits me. It doesn't fit everybody. Right. And, and convincing people, you know, going back to how we train those things, it's like that scenario may intimidate a lot of people. But the second they figure out um, that there is something within them to help them crack that code, they're, they're going to be fine. We had the same, so we just, we opened a new store and we had this young server. She had totally been hired on her personality. She had no experience whatsoever, um, but just kind of bubbly, easygoing, you know, had never had a serving job before. And this was opening night to the public. And she comes back. I'm actually in expo observing, just watching things going on, kind of taking the temperature of the room. She comes back. And she comes up to me and she says, Mr. Jonathan, I am so nervous. I said, why are you nervous? She said, I just said, I just got set a six top and they're all ladies and they're all over 50. And I said, well, what's there to be nervous about? And she said, Karen's. And I said, listen, here's the deal. They're here on opening night. They're going to be forgiving. If you mess up, it's not that big of a deal. And let me ask you one question. Is there any person in this room, if they ask you a question and you don't know something, do you think that there's not one single person in this room that can't help you out with that situation and figure out whatever is going wrong? She's like, no, you're right. I said, go back to the table. You're going to be fine. They left for a $250 tip. Like this, you know, it's it's unlocking those things. It's convincing people. It's, it's almost giving people um, uh, courage and confidence to work through those things at times, yeah, we are taking away that, you know, six step process of this is what you do in this scenario. And this is what you do in that scenario. But I think we're building our foundation much, much stronger 
than relying upon six or eight or 10 or 26 steps. Yeah. Yeah. For lack of a better way of describing it. I mean, what, what you described with most restaurants is basically trying to make them robots, right? That's, that's right, man. Yeah. It, and it, you're it saying kills just me. It kills me. There's just no need for it. Granted, don't get me wrong. There are places that I go where the service is very robotic, but the food is extremely consistent. I know exactly what I expect throughout, throughout every single visit. It's going to taste identical every time I get that food from the counter or every time I get it at the table. And I'm willing to go through the robotic service because it is, it's never great, right? It's never going to blow me away and make me say, hey, this is probably a top five restaurant visit in my entire life but it's also never going to be a bottom five. It's going to be middle of the pack and it's consistent and solid. And sometimes you want that and that's, that's perfectly okay. Yeah. All right. So let's shift gears a little bit and talk about your guys's technology or anti-technology approach, you know, <laughs> right. you know nowadays in pretty much any restaurant that I go to there, you know, the pay machine is sitting on the table, right? Or yeah. you can swipe the card yourself, or you can even order yourself on that, you know, that technology. And for me personally, drives me nuts because it's a pain to deal with. Now, maybe paying the check I can get on board with, mm-hmm. but asking me to order myself on a on a screen doesn't doesn't do it for me. Yeah, I think a lot of a lot of brands, especially um, even a little bit pre-COVID, you saw it coming into the end of 19 prior to COVID happening in 20, and then certainly middle of COVID and coming out of COVID, you know, necessity was born for those types of things. They simply don't have the staff in order for one person to be running, you know, 40 checks a night, and they're taking care of seven tables when really the restaurant is really only designed for them to take care of four tables at a time. So so I get it. Like technology implementation was absolutely necessary for a lot of brands. We've been pretty anti-technology because we, again, going back, we're kind of rolling back time. Um, We want it to feel like an authentic coastal experience. And you wouldn't walk in to an oyster bar on the panhandle and find a iPad at the table. It's not going to happen. And so we're not going to have it in our restaurants. We believe that people, when they come in for a full service dining experience, actually want full service and full service being from a human who can make decisions, who can think with a brain, who can read the table, and who can accomplish all of those things that need to be accomplished. And, and quite frankly, if you're following our method, which is to say, if you're being authentic, it's, it's you know, you're going to create that guest connection. And if your check is a minute and a half later than it should be, then the best practice standard said it, says it should be, because you've created that guest connection, that authentic guest connection on the front end. They don't care. They're going to love that their food was great. They're going to love that their beverage was great. And their conversation to their friend is going to be, the food was awesome. The beverages were really good. I had one too many. The check took like a minute too long, but who cares? I'm definitely going back. It's going to be passed over just like that. So there's no need for technological implementation in every facet of every business. We've just been, we've just been against them because it's not, um, it's just not necessary, not necessary in a really, really good dining experience. Yeah. So do you guys use actual uh, handheld machines to, to pay the check at the table or you still pick it up normally and go back to a pick machine? Pick it up and go back. I know it's crazy. Um, now we have some locations that where we have really, really large patios and it's kind of indoor outdoor dining where we have some where we can do some iPad stuff. 
but it is it is not a brand standard and it's not implemented system wide. Gotcha. All right, so let's talk about potential franchisees. I know you guys have you know a, a pretty aggressive growth plan. Uh, what you guys want to do? So you know, tell us about the growth plan first. What you guys hope to accomplish in the next, call it five to ten years. And then what are you looking for specifically in people who may be interested in, in becoming a franchisee? Sure. Growth plan for us. And I, and I say it all the time. I think people probably get annoyed by it. I want to open healthy restaurants with good people. That's what we're after. You know, I, I don't want to, um, I like to take every at bat. I'm a baseball player, right? I focus on every at bat. I'm not focused on my end stat line. I'm focused on every at bat. And I want to make every at bat count. And so for me, that every at bat is, is this a good person and, and can this be a healthy market and healthy restaurant for us? I'm not necessarily interested in gigantic numbers. Um, I think that leads people down the wrong path because they have to grow. We don't have to grow, you know, from a financial standpoint, from a development standpoint, we don't have to grow. We want to grow. Um, and for us, there's a clear differentiation there. Um, we want to be able to coldly and, and securely decide who we want in our system and who we don't think is a great fit for our system. We've done that thus far and we'll continue to do that. And as far as the candidate we're looking for, we're looking for good people that can talk to other people. Just like I said, really, really early on. I know that sounds crazy. And, and I know there's, um, you know, there's, there's certainly financial qualifications and all of that you have to meet. All that can be found on our website if you're, if you're an interested person. But if you are listening to this or if you have read our things or watched other videos or listened to other podcasts that I've been on or any of my team has been on, we just we want to be in business with people that we like. The franchise relationship is 10 years. It's 10 years. Um, it is a long time to not get along with someone. Um, and there, you can't divorce. Uh, I mean, you can, but it's expensive for both sides. And uh, that's not what we're after. So we want to be in business with good people who who want to serve their community, who want to bring something unique to their community. Um, that's who we're after. Okay, so I could be wrong on this because I'm certainly not an expert in franchise restaurant systems, right? Um, but I believe that there's a decent amount of passive ownership in franchises in general, but specifically in restaurants. And so I'm guessing that you're going to tell me that that's not something that you guys are looking for. You want somebody who who really wants to operate this business and be involved. Yeah, I think it's not just germane to Chuck and Check, but franchising as a whole, especially on the restaurant side, your owner operators most more often than not are often going to run you know, the more successful locations, unless they have a management team in place. Now, we have several franchisees in our system that aren't there 40 hours a week. You know, we have some passive ownership in our system, but all of them have one thing in common, which is they have really, really strong management in place. So while you, you wouldn't necessarily come to us and say, I don't have a general manager right now, you know, a year out from my store opening, I can't be a franchisee. Uh, that's, that's, you know, that's very, very uncommon. We would, as long as you establish that on the front end and saying, hey, I am going to be the initial face of the business, but my plan is to bring in a really strong general manager who is local, um, who knows the community, who can act as the face of business when I'm not here, who can pull the hours, who can hire effectively. As long as you have those plans in place, then yes, we do accept passive ownerships. The parameters are a little bit different um, because the expectations kind of change. If you're a passive owner, passive owner in our system, you're still expected to be in and out of the restaurant on a weekly basis. You're not, you're not, you know, 
wiping tables more often than not. But you got to know how to do those things um, in case you lose management. You're not cooking, but we're going to teach you how to do that. Um, so there are some expectations that are a little bit different, but we do accept both. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of big ownership groups that own, you know, so mm -hmm. many locations that they're not going to be in any of those locations. And in some places that works, right? I mean, not to, to, to name names, but you know, if you can, if you can walk into a place and look at the counter and say, I'd like a burrito with this, 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 and that mm -hmm. in it, I don't know that an owner has to be in that location on a regular basis for it to run. Absolutely not. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you totally. And, and I think restaurants are all built for different reasons, right? You look at gigantic brands like, like uh, McDonald's uh, or Chipotle or any of these other brands, like they're built for convenience and they have done a really, really, really good job at nailing it. They're built for speed of service. They're built for, you know, this SOP approach of saying, plug and play as far as the human being is concerned. If it's a smiling face and they're mildly pleasant and they can scoop something into something else, let's go. That's just not the way a lot of full service brands are built. Um, we are definitely, I mean, yes, of course we have standard operating procedures and an operations manual and, and all of those things, best practice things, uh, but we're really after the human that's behind that position. Um, so, you know, every, every brand's built a little bit differently. We just happen to be a little bit more on the human side, I think. Yeah. All right. So at this point, what is your geographical reach in terms sure. of locations, the 19 that you've got? And what's the, in a perfect world, what would be the plan to expand from there? Our geographical reach right now, we're primarily in the Southeast U.S. Our farthest Western location is, is the Dallas area in Texas. We also have a Chicago area location um, with more to come potentially in both of those markets. Uh, but, you know, in a perfect world, like I said, great people, you know, if you're a great person and you're in Omaha, Nebraska, and you're thinking Omaha does not have one of these things. And I know that I'm a good person and I know that I can serve that role. Let us know, because I, I do think a restaurant success hinges more often than not on the person running that restaurant. I, I think it has. Yes, there's a brand element to it and a brand differentiation to it, but there are reasons that many restaurants that are in very competitive spaces survive, mom and pop restaurants in particular, that survive for decades and decades and decades. It's because who's behind the counter? And so if you feel like you can be that person behind the counter, it really doesn't matter where you are. Now, practically speaking, our, we see most of our growth happening is continued in the southeastern U.S., Georgia, Florida, and then into Texas. Um, and then, of course, Tennessee, Kentucky, and Virginia, and all those other states. Uh, but, you know, if you're a good person and and um, and you feel like full service is a game that you want to get into and you just want to be yourself and you're tired of wearing a tie, um, then yeah, that's kind of who we're after. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's funny you mentioned that tie thing. So, I mean, with what my business partner and I do for a living, most people that do what we do wear a tie, right? Absolutely. Uh, we don't. I haven't worn a tie outside of funerals, weddings, church, sure. you know, whatever. I haven't worn a tie for business in well over a decade. Absolutely. Um, and, yeah. And it's rare for me to be wearing anything other than a polo shirt, which is what I'm wearing right now. Mm -hmm. but in the winter, I wear like a quarter zip light fleece jacket most of the time. And I'm actually wearing 
what are called golf joggers, if you're familiar with, yes, you know, uh-huh. whatever, uh, and tennis shoes. And that's, but that's just, that's me. And we're, we're doing kind of the same thing that Shuck and Shack's doing and saying, look, I don't have to dress like that for you to trust that I know what I'm doing in my day job, right? I'm going to show you who we are through our process and how we engage with you. Absolutely. And if you feel like I need to be wearing wingtip shoes and a three-piece suit with a tie to do that well for you, then I'm probably not the right person to do it anyway. Exactly right. We we use a similar justification. It's like one of the things that we we say is that we're allowed to dress the way we dress and talk the way we talk because we're really damn good at all the other things that we do. So cut me some slack that I wear a pocket t-shirt most days. Okay. We know how to run restaurants really well. We know how to treat people really, really well. No one cares that I wear a pocket t-shirt, shorts, and, and hey dudes, no one cares. Do they care? They have a great guest experience. If the answer is yes, and that's all that should matter. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with that 100%. I think that, I mean, we're, we're seeing it relax a little bit with COVID. You know, there, there are people in professional settings, you know, banking, financial services, whatever, um, to where it's starting to relax. But it's it's still like, I've been in a Morgan Stanley office in the last couple of months, <laughs> and it's right. still very much white shirt, tie, and, and jacket. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. But again, that fits their brand, right? Like you're, yeah. you're talking about branding, you know, th- there's, there's something about it. There, there's something, um, I don't know, there's something iconic, I think, and, and maybe that's an overstatement, but in certain industries, the, and we're going down a rabbit hole, but in certain industries, the dress and the, and, you know, and, and their, you know, the, the rich mahogany in their offices, it, there's almost this iconic, um, ubiquitous nature to whatever company that may be. Um, and yeah. I think that's kind of cool. I think there's part of that that's kind of cool for me. Like yeah. you're not going to find a Cadillac with no chrome on it, right? That's one of their things, right? Like <laughs> every single Cadillac ever produced has has to have 10 square foot of chrome on it. But that's part of Cat. That's who Cadillac is. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Be be authentic to your brand and be authentic that's to right. yourself. Be authentic to your brand. Yeah. Well, Jonathan, I've, I've appreciated the conversation. I, I think we could talk about this forever, but I'm going to kind of throw it over to you and say, what haven't we talked about that you think we should talk about that you guys are doing well at Shuck and Shack that the rest of the world should know about? You know, I, I think we covered a lot of it. We, we love people. We're in the people business. The way we deliver those experiences happens to be through food and beverage and our food and our beverage is really damn good. Um, but it's, it's the people that matter. That's what matters. We would be, you know, I'm not going to say any other brand because that's not the truth, but we could potentially be any other brand had we, had we not been very, very intentional about the people that we put in our four walls of our restaurants. That's what really matters. And that's what matters in hospitality. Um, and you can do loyalty programs. You can do uh, mailers and digital ads and psychographic research and you know net promoter scores and all of this other stuff. But if the people within your four walls aren't treating your customers well, you're wasting your time. Um, and that's that's what I believe. Yeah, no, I think that's a great way to end it because the reality is, you know, you guys are are all about beer, cocktails, and seafood. But what you just described, you and the ownership group could get together and say, we're going to do the exact same thing with uh, whatever, burgers, 
fries and cold drinks. You know what I'm saying? Like you can do the exact same thing with any, any food. It's just, it's all about the people and the the way that you guys handle yourselves. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, Jonathan, I really appreciate the time again. Appreciate your, your willingness to come on the show. I'm sure that everybody that's listening has learned something that they can apply in their own business and really appreciate you for that. Thanks, Austin. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet. Thank you. Listening to Tycoons of Small Biz, a podcast for small business owners by small business owners. Join us next week for an introduction to another great tycoon, and be sure to follow us on our social media channels for links to all of our episodes and great content.